to Balancing Stories. Author and podcaster Laura Tremaine is here, and our conversation explores three of her stories, which, like the Venn diagram that is life, overlap with each other. In part one, we start with the contrasting chapters of her life between Oklahoma upbringing and Los Angeles, California, adulting, including what drew her from one bubble into the other. So I, so I was craving change and worldview shift. And dadgum, if California doesn't fit that bill, you know what well, I mean? Well, dadgum. <laughs> In part two, we talk about Laura's very fresh balancing of the chapters of her creative life, as she's just ended her 10 Things to Tell You podcast to focus on writing her second book. We talk mental health, family, ego, and the impact of the pandemic. I was like, oh, no, I can't do all of this. Like, I cannot, I, can, I literally cannot do all of this. And it was, it was really contributing to a lot of stress for me that was unmanageable and also very unnecessary. <laughs> like, I was like, this is, why are we all doing this? And last, but I cannot stress this enough, not least, we talk about balancing moving forward and Laura's surprising mindsets she woke up with after 40. It's almost like you wake up one day and you're like, I actually literally care less about what people think and I don't know why. For links and related episodes, check out the show notes on balancingstories.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content, free of course. And if you like what you hear and you want to support me, you can leave a tip through Buy Me a Coffee, link on the website. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Stories. Before we get to Laura's interview, I have to share this clip, which was the start of our recording session, because we reference it later in our conversation. We got on the mics, and before I could even hit record, Laura started asking me questions about my life. I told her about backpacking Europe after abandoning cubicle corporate life in California, and she started on this track of alignment versus seeking. Enjoy this little snippet of the pre-interview conversation. I think that you have to do the searching part to arrive where you're going. Like, and that is in alignment because you're on the path to get where you're going. You don't just wake up one day, or most of us don't, just wake up one day in total alignment or like having a revelation of where we're supposed to go or whatever. We have to go on the path. Yeah. And so I think that you can be searching and in alignment. I think you can be searching and feel very lost. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, okay, I see where this was going. Like some part of me was pulling me along that path, like subconsciously or the soul or fate or like however a person frames it up. But in terms of your story, it feels like you knew you weren't in alignment when you were in San Francisco. And so then you were like... I got to do something else. So even if you didn't know what was going to be like on the other end of it, the searching part of it to me feels like, oh, but you were like, that was you getting there. You don't yeah. just arrive there. You know, you just wake up there. I knew what was wrong. I knew it was misaligned, right? And so then I was like, this is not the right place. This is not the the person I want to become and embrace. Like, I could I do it? Yeah. I think a lot of us follow a path of what's expected of us or what we even expected of ourselves based on a bajillion things. But is that the best version of ourselves or the version that we like? Mm -hmm. And so I, I sat in the cubicle that day and said, this is not the version I'm going to be happy with long term. Mm -hmm. So let me go find that version. But that's why I think you can be in alignment and searching because the searching portion of it, even if when you were backpacking around, you felt like a little wandering or lost or whatever, that still felt better than when you were in the cubicle. Like yes. even, you know 100%. what I mean? And so to me, that is alignment. If it, it's, not, it's not perfection because you're not there yet, but like you're feeling better than you were before. Well, that's all we can ask. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> True, true. And yeah, and I feel like I'm in a really good place 
where I'm at, living in Germany and this wild ride that I'm on. Well, it's an amazing story. I'm so glad you shared that with me. That's a good story. Thank you. Anytime. But I think we're here for your story today. Are you? Oh, gosh. Right? Are you? <laughs> She's shaking her head. Not ready. I'm well, ready. I'm ready. <laughs> it's not like you haven't done this, Laura. <laughs> no, I think I think I just said, mm, because I sometimes, and it, particularly right now, like, because I talk on the internet all day, every day, and have for like 12, 13 years, I get sick of my own story. I mean, I love people sharing their stories and I share my story as a model for other people to share their stories. And I like talking and I like sharing. Like, I like all of these things. But sometimes, you know, you just get like sick of yourself. Like, ah. (laughs) Well, let's see. Let's see what we can dig up today then. I'm ready. Well, let's do a little welcome. Laura has joined us. It's Laura Tremaine. She just ended her podcast, actually, 10 Things to Tell You, which is how I, can I say, fell in love with you? Don't tell my husband. You may, please. (laughs) I also continued my love story with you when you became an author of Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. And I just find you to be such a powerful example of balancing and this search for understanding Who am I? Well, thank you for inviting me. I love to talk about all of these things, balancing and sharing and finding ourselves and searching for ourselves. Like I'm actually really passionate about those topics. You just happen to have caught me, you know, in a moment where I am purposefully going a little quieter. I just recently ended my show after three years of podcasting weekly. I barely missed a week in three years. And I also wrote a book also about sharing. So I just am right now kind of entering a quieter season for myself. But in general, like in a big picture way, I'm like all about the sharing and the searching. And I spend many, many hours talking about that in people's ears, preaching at them, frankly. One of the things that wasn't going to be originally in our conversation, because when I booked you to come on the show, you had not announced that you were ending the podcast. And I had a whole different set of questions. And then you announced the end. And I went, you know what? Let's talk about that. Because I think it's fresh. You just ended Mm -hmm. it last week at the time we're recording this. And so I'd love to have a conversation with you about balancing chapters. Yes, play on words. In, in life and in writing, because that's one of the reasons you're taking this podcast. We'll call it a break, because I don't think you're ever done podcasting. I'm not done podcasting. I know I'll re- return to podcasting because I love it as a medium. Like, I love it as a creator. I love it as a consumer. Like, I love podcasting. And, and so we can call it a, a break for me personally, but I did close that specific show. That show. Like I don't yeah. think I will return to 10 Things to Tell You because I wanted to close that project well and be like, this thing has ended. When mm. I return to podcasting, which I also think I will like in a year or so after I finish writing my second book, it will be a new project. I, I mean, I, I say that. That's what I'm thinking now. I'm pretty <laughs> – Things can change. Don't hold me to it. But I I feel pretty confident about that. Well, then let's back it up a little bit. And I'm going to start with the question you ask readers in the first chapter of your first book. And it's, who are you? But I will mix it up and bring in the balancing. What contrasting influences have made you into the person you are today? Well, it's a biggie. It is a biggie. biggie. But I think the most important contrasting influences that make up who I am is growing up in small town Oklahoma and then choosing and living my adult life in Los Angeles. So those are two entirely different planets. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) I love my roots. I loved growing up in a town of about 3,500 people, really, really small in Southern Oklahoma, which is, you know, a whole culture, that part of the country, Oklahoma, Texas, like that sort of very middle heartland of the country. And then moving to LA straight out of college when I was 22, like fresh off a heartbreak. I'd never lived in a big city. I didn't know anyone here. I didn't even have a job. And those two 
facts about me that I grew up in Oklahoma and that I choose LA are the most sort of important parts of my identity. And all of the other details that you can get around a question like this, like, you know, one's taste or style or accent or food preferences or how I choose to raise my children, like parenthood, all of those like smaller decisions in our life, in my life, is really informed by those two things. Like I feel really rooted in something and I feel like I've really either grown or gained or chosen wings in another in another way. And so I feel like when people meet me in real life, well, right away they first they ask me where I'm from because I have an accent. Which podcasting, I feel like I've trained myself out of it a little bit. In real life, I have more of an accent. <laughs> and and like. there have been episodes where you're talking to your mom or someone else who is Southern, and suddenly you're like, Mwah. Yeah. It comes out. It comes In person, out. I do think I have more of an accent than maybe I've trained myself on the mic. But I do have an accent. So when people meet me, they right away usually ask where I'm from. And I'm so happy to tell them because it's just such a huge part, you know, of everything, my political beliefs, what I believe about God, what I believe about America, like a lot of those things were formed in one place. And I live somewhere where those things are really pretty radically different. And so I can hold both in one hand. And so those to me are the, my most important influences and remain my most important influences. I'm coming up on the tipping point where I will have lived in California longer than I've lived in Oklahoma. I've been here 20 years. I moved here when I was 22. So I'm sort of coming into that almost exact balance point. But, you know, your childhood is so formative. I don't know, you know, I'll never sort of get over that hump of being like, where I'm from, it is still that influential to me, even in my 40s. You mentioned several different categories of the things that our upbringing can influence, but also the place that we become an adult can influence. Mm -hmm. And you brought up parenting, politics, religion, beliefs. Has there been one of those categories or all of those categories that has really been challenged by you becoming an adult in Los Angeles in particular, not just California? LA, which is its own culture. Yeah, I mean, well, the obvious one, the the big one that is forefront of everyone's mind is is politics. You know, I grew up super, super conservative, mm. and Los Angeles is obviously very liberal, and I consider myself pretty moderate because, again, I feel like I can see both sides more than ev not everybody can see both sides, as we have realized in America. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that I can always relate to both sides. I mean, I have sort of landed in a place, but, you know, to my Oklahoma friends and family, I am like a radical, you know, hippie liberal. And to my California friends, I'm like a crazy conservative. I mean, I am, I'm really pretty moderate and I don't please either of those extremes in my life. And so I would say that's been the biggest change in me. And that one was slower. Mm. When I moved out here for the first, I mean, really like eight to 10 years of living in California, I still considered myself pretty far right. I, not far right, not like extreme far We got to right, be careful. I, I am recording yeah. in Germany, you know. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> listen, and like words matter, you know what I mean? Words matter. <laughs> I was not far right. I considered myself Right, like like conservative. And I yeah. just inched towards the middle. It's also funny because my husband was – I would have considered him very, very liberal when we met. And he also inched towards the middle. Like he probably got a little more conservative. I definitely got more liberal. And so we've sort of met in the middle. And I also think even though the loudest voices right now in America are pretty extreme, I think that most adults, honestly, most adults – are moderate. Like, I think they mm -hmm. hold a lot of both parties' belief systems. Like, I really, the more that I talk to people, like, actually talk to them outside of people's Facebook posts or whatever, I think a lot of us are more in the middle. And the that middle is never represented online, hardly. But I think that in our actual philosophies and in our hearts, a lot of us, Americans at least, are 
pretty moderate. And that just does not get talked about or shared. And I'm not even trying to make, I'm sorry that this went political, but just that's the biggest thing that has changed for me in moving to California from Oklahoma. When I moved here, I also was already struggling with like religion. Mm. So some people think that it was California that (laughs) changed my beliefs on God and everything. And it wasn't. I think I came to California because those beliefs were changing actually. And I was more comfortable in a place like LA where there's a lot of searching. There's a lot of fluidity in the spiritual realm. I wanted something like that. Like I was looking for something a little bit spiritually outside of the box. And dad gum, if California doesn't fit that bill, you know what I mean? Well, dad gum. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like if I can take it all the way back to kind of our pre-interview time where we were talking about my story and you said, even though I didn't feel like I was in alignment, there must have been something, even though I was searching that was aligned in me that drew me out of one place and pushed me towards another. And do you feel that's what was happening with you from Oklahoma to LA? Yes, without question. I mean, I don't know that it was LA specific at that time in my life, but I was definitely very compelled to exit the bubble that I had grown Mm. up in. And it's a beautiful bubble and there's so much love there. But I, you know, grew up in the same state that I went to college in. I hadn't traveled much. My family wasn't, they weren't like world travelers or anything like that. So I just had not had a lot of cultural experience or anything. And I was very much craving that, like sort of seeing a bigger world. And so I don't know that I was necessarily 100% drawn to California. I My dream had been to move to Europe, actually. Hey, hey, come on over. To. Get over here. <laughs> but I didn't have the funds for that. It's, you know, it was going to be difficult for me to do at that stage in my life. And so I was like, well, like, what's the most sort of radical thing a person can do in America? And it turns out it's California. <laughs> and so that's what I did. So I, so I was craving change and worldview shift. Mm. and. So I definitely look back at that path, but I don't know that it had to be LA. LA. Yeah. It just that is what it ended up to be. I mean, who isn't drawn to LA at at some point in their younger person life? Do you know what I mean? Like it's like Hollywood and palm trees and mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's this fantasy world that when you're 22, like that's very attractive. <laughs> but if I may say this, you are no longer 22. That's right. That's right. Um, does LA still give you something as a not 22-year-old? Yes, absolutely. It is home, but it's a good question because I have never lived in another city. Mm. So, you know, if I had lived a few different places and then chosen here, I wonder if that answer would be different But for me, I've only been living, you know, in Oklahoma and here. And so I think that LA gives me a lot of, still in my 40s, gives me a lot of things that you can't get in other cities. And for me, that searching thing, like everyone in LA, I mean, so many people in LA, (laughs) they are on some sort of searching path. I mean, everyone's on a journey. (laughs) Everyone loves a spiritual journey. Everyone loves a transformation. You know, people here are really living in a story. And I don't know if that's because of, of the Hollywood influence. Obviously, I'm sure that's part of it. But like, we lean into all the stereotypes. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, I have friends who are screenwriters, friends who have their crystals out with the full moon. I have all, like, all of the things that people say about LA. I mean, like, it's true. (laughs) And for some people, that's very repellent. And for others, that's very attractive. To me, I actually love being in, like, the energy of the city to be very creative and searching and also like sort of accepting like anything goes. I've always said this of like, if you want to be in a goth period and then the next year you have decided you are 
very preppy, people are like, okay, I see this journey for you. I mean, people are very, it's like that. Whereas like I could, in any other world, that's not, people are like, what a flake and weirdo you are. You know, but here in LA, people are like, I just, I understand. I understand what you're doing or I don't understand, but I approve, you know? I mean, like there's just a lot of that love and light. And I do think that some people experience that as phony. Like I can see how that can be almost perceived as phony that people are like, mm, you and your journey. But for me, I feel a lot of freedom in it. I've always felt a lot of freedom in it. And that I'm like, well, I can just be whoever I want to be out here. And when you grow up in a place where you don't feel the freedom to be whoever you want to be, and Oklahoma has changed a lot. The whole world has changed, right? Like yeah. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And and so I'm I'm speaking from like a uh, outdated experience, but I really love the transformational aspect of LA that everyone is on their own hero's journey openly, openly on it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I just enjoy it. I, I enjoy it, but I get that it's not for everybody. And you, you mentioned your husband briefly that he mm-hmm. went from one side of the spectrum and you were on the other and you kind of, you're both shifted towards the middle. Is he from California? My husband, Jeff, is an army brat. Ah. So he lived in California briefly. His dad was a surgeon in the army, and he did live up in the San Francisco area when he was very young. And then he moved to Colorado, and then he ended up doing high school in Maryland outside of D.C., and and that's where he graduated high school from. But he moved around a lot, and so he doesn't have the same hometown ties that I do. He doesn't have the same kind of childhood friends that I do. He does have some friends from earlier in his life, but, you know, army brats just have a really different experience. You know, he was just, he was quite a bit more nomadic than I was. (laughs) Yeah. I always think it's very interesting to see who we end up with. And that also, because you guys met very early on when you were in your 20s still, and how that impacts how we become adults as well, if we're with our partners long term. And if he influenced that. I was 23, 22 when I met yeah. him. I, just, I met him right when I moved here. But he's 13 years older than me. Yeah. So he was in his late 30s. He was on his second career. He had been in LA almost 20 years. Like he he had a whole life before we met. I mean, you know, <laughs> when I was in my late 30s, which was just a few years ago, I remember thinking, wow, like what would it be like if I just met my husband now? You know, yeah. that's how he was. But and you'd come, you were like fresh Oklahoman. Yes. Strong accent coming into the movie industry, which is where he was. Mm-hmm. And you're this little country bumpkin that came in and he's a city slicker. Totally. I mean, I not only a country bumpkin, but I was like sorority girl, like big bow in my hair. I just graduated from University <laughs> yes. of Oklahoma. Like I was... I didn't even... I'd sort of, as I already explained, kind of accidentally landed in L.A., he was already a movie director, TV director, and had been an editor of a skateboard magazine for a long time. And so he was very like, you know, skateboard world. Like he was so uninterested in a bumpkin <laughs> sorority girl. I'm just picturing so, you with this big bow still. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> oh yeah, I was a big bow. But we are we are we were really different on the outside, clearly, like interests and tastes and whatever, but we're not that different on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I think people – I even positioned ourselves for a long time, like as our love story, as we were kind of an opposites attract. But that was all really surface level. Like, no, I'm not into like skateboarding and he's not into like reading. I'm a big reader. But inside, we we are not that different, which is why I think we kind of grew towards each other. It's easy to talk about in a political realm, but it was so much more than that of like, oh – you know, we had a lot of the same values. We have a, a lot of the same thought processes about people in the world and that kind of thing. And so it was easier to see all kinds of things, politics, God, family, whatever, in the other one's eyes. And so, you know, it looks like we're opposites and online we sort of appear as opposites, but we aren't not, really. That's not the end no. of the story, no. We cracked it. They're not really opposites. <laughs> So where are you now? In January of 2019, you started a wonderful podcast called 10 Things to Tell You, and that's how I got hooked, which led to a book in early 2001 called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. 
And now in 2022, as you work on your next book, you decided to end your podcast, the 10 Things to Tell You podcast, that is. What led to this decision and why is this balancing best for you? Well, there were a lot of things that led to this decision, which I did not make lightly because I love podcasting. It was also the primary source of income for me. And so, you know, I couldn't just like up and walk away from it. I got my book deal because of the show. I mean, there were a lot of career things that were tied up in my podcast. And so I couldn't just lightly walk away. But, you know, the pandemic has reshaped so many things for so many people. And while 2020 was a lot of white knuckling it through, you know, the early part of the pandemic, 2021 actually for me proved to be much more difficult than that initial sort of shock of lockdown and and all of those things, which I'm sure there'll be a million books written about in the next few years. But 2021, sort of the fallout of 2020 really hit our family hard. We had a, a lot going on. We moved houses. My husband, Jeff, was making a new movie. I was trying to juggle the show and also writing a second book. I, I had a two-book deal, and so I owed the publisher a second book. And we had some personal things happening in our family and in our life. And I just, I had a lot of of mental health issues. I had some actual mm. physical health issues too. And I just realized probably late summer, early fall, when things were really getting more difficult and more dark for me, that I I just cannot play every instrument at the same time. Yeah. And the only reason I had been able to write a book and podcast in 2020 and then do all the things that go along with those, you know, manage email, manage social media, like all it's not just sometimes I feel like you know, it looks easier maybe on the outside than all the behind the scenes shuffling that goes on. I was at the time I was editing my own show and I, you know I didn't have any help I didn't have any anything it was a solo thing the only reason I was able to manage all of those things in 2020 was because we were at home all the time yeah <laughs> like you know I mean I was it was stressful because 2020 was stressful but also I had 12 hours a day yeah and Jeff was to, home right because he couldn't be in production at that time we were all home yeah uh, Los Angeles was very locked down comparatively to the rest of our country. And so we were home all the time. And yes, there, it was emotionally stressful, but I had I had actual time. I had actual hours in the day. Yeah. Well, in 2021, especially in the summer of 2021, as you know, vaccine rollout got pretty widespread and the world went back to a, some normalcy. So meaning my kids had sports again and activities and things. I was like, oh no, I can't do all of this. Like I cannot... I, can, I literally cannot do all of this. And it was it was really contributing to a lot of stress for me that was unmanageable and also very unnecessary. Like I was like, this is – why are we all doing this? Yeah. And so when I realized that I couldn't do it all and I had to sort of just look at the cards on my own personal table, it felt like, like I already said, that taking the show away should have been one of the last things – that I would consider because it is sort of the main hub, had been the main hub of my career. It was where I reached an audience. It was where I, you know, again, made my income, all that kind of thing. But it also took the most time and energy and effort. And as a solo podcaster, meaning, you know, without a creative partner or whatever, also you must understand like it's so much emotional labor. Yes. It's not 100%. just like – recording and editing, which obviously, which literally takes actual hours, but yeah. also just like the producing of a show coming up with the topics, like all of those things. I just thought about podcasting all the time. All the time. Yep. All the time. All the time. When I, <laughs> I really needed to be thinking about this book that I wanted to write and that was, you know, had a deadline. I really needed to be thinking about some of these family things that were happening in my life that I needed to give more attention to. I really needed to think about my physical health. And so when I was looking at all these cards on the table, the thing that took up the most of me was the thing that I needed to remove. Now, I am I all I do want to like really stress that I'm in a privileged position in that the show doesn't like pay our mortgage. I I did not I'm able 
to say, I can't do this anymore. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are obviously not able to say that about their job. You know, they're not able to just walk away. And so I always want to acknowledge that because the decision is complicated in, in everyone's situation. But for me, it was not going to impact our family's bottom line if I closed the show. And I also just didn't want to give it. I wanted to practice what I preach and not give it so much weight as like, if you decide to end something, it doesn't mean that it's forever. You can, I can come back to it. I just need to acknowledge that I want to write this book. I, I have to write this book and I deeply want to write this book. And I cannot play two instruments at one time. It, podcasting and writing, they seem synonymous. For me, they are two very different parts of the brain, two, two very different kinds mm-hmm. of emotional labor. And it's just, very, they're very different. And so I was like, I, I have to put down one instrument in order to play the other. But it doesn't mean that I can't return to podcasting, which I do want to do. And also another part about this decision that I want to say that I really think impacted the way I was able to think of it, because I had some ego around closing the show. This will be my third Mm -hmm. podcast. I've walked away from a group show that I was on years ago. I started another show and ended it. This is my third show to sort of end. And I had a lot of ego around, do I look like a flake? Like, does this look like I don't know what I'm doing? Because so many of my, like what I would consider colleagues, if you will, like my fellow podcasters have been doing their same shows for like eight, nine years. I mean, they have not deviated. (laughs) And I'm like, first of all, that's so impressive and they must have boundless energy that I do not have. And I felt like I have gone from project to project, even though they're years long. I mean, it was a three-year long show, but I did have ego around it. And I realized that I, living with a movie director, waking up with a movie director every day, he goes from project to project. Like he makes a movie and then the movie releases and then he gets to start a new project. So I do think that I live creatively with someone who works in a project-based space. And so it makes me think of like, okay, and now this project is done for me. And I'm going to write my book, which is a different project. And I, in talking to friends and stuff who also do this kind of online work, not everyone thinks like that. Like they think of it as an ongoing job, you know, like you would any other kind of job. They don't think of it as a project-based career. And so I do think that that influenced the way that I think about the rhythm of creative life. And like, I have always been jealous that Jeff gets to do something, finish it, call it done, and start something totally new. Mm. Like, that's amazing. You know, most careers don't get to do that. And he does. He can do something really different. He can do a totally different type of movie if he wants, and he has. And so I think that that makes a big difference. I, When I was a blogger years and years ago, I really was like, does this ever end? Like, what <laughs> Is this just forever? And (laughs) I realized it was because I am surrounded in Hollywood by people who have multiple projects going on or can be like, oh, remember that time when I did that TV show and now that's over and I'm doing a different thing? Like that's a mindset. And I do think that that influenced the way I thought about closing the show and calling this a successful project versus like, I'm not quitting I'm not like all these sort of negative words around it. I'm like, no, I'm like calling it successful and also calling it done. Yeah. I think it's interesting to use Jeff as kind of um, a case study, you know, for how you're feeling and your ego and how you examine these things as projects, because he is also someone who, yes, he has all these individual projects, but he also has a long run with the same type of project, with the same guys doing the same. Can we talk about that? Can we name the show? Yeah, yeah. He's um, He created the Jackass franchise, which, yeah. um, you know, co-created his partners. But they started that as a TV show in the late 90s or in 2000. And Don't now they're I know about it. Re- <laughs> they're about to release their fourth movie together in February. Yeah. But, I mean, he's also has a long-running, you know, he – created the show Ridiculousness, which has been on MTV for years and years and years. So yeah, he has things that go. So he's got these things 
that he can step away from for a minute and he works on something else and he comes back and he go so he's a good example for that as well that just because you step away from something doesn't mean you can't go back and kind of revive it or make a different version of it mhm exactly yeah it must be interesting to live with different types of creatives in the same house i wonder what your children think <laughs> we are doing such different work right <laughs> <laughs> but you're both creatives and so what that must be so great for your kids to see that you can be so many different things in life. Well, that's interesting because I've really worried, like truly deeply worried that they don't have a grasp on what most careers really look like. Like, you know, a nine to five, they never witnessed like the real the struggle bus years of their – because Jeff and I were older when we had kids. I mean, I yeah. he – you know, Jeff was 42 when our daughter was born, 43 when our daughter was born. So, like, they never saw what, you know, paying his dues years or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have not seen, I don't think, a fair rep- representation of what career looks like. Now, I do tell them that all the time. Most people don't – get to do what their dad does. I mean, mm. he loves what he does every day. And I they I don't think that they see now he he works extremely hard and they do see him work, you know, 16-hour days for months on end when he's working. They know that, but I don't think they see you know, it's just, that's not normal. Like we I just know it's not normal. It's Hollywood. And so I feel like and then they have me that's like upstairs podcasting in the closet. So like I think <laughs> They don't have any idea what like a banker does or like, I mean, like something like very, you know. Like my kids, I'm a teacher and my husband's an engineer. So they've got like parents who have these kind of regular jobs. Right. And I want my, I feel like my kids don't don't know that. Like they'll think, because in between projects, Jeff might work very little for a few months and then he goes off and he works very hard for six months or whatever. But like in their mind- you get a break in between jobs. And I want to be like, you know that most people like don't get a break. You know what I mean? Like they work all year long. (laughs) Well, I'm a teacher. So you can tell them that teachers get breaks, but it's- That's true. That's true. But you know what I mean? I just, I know that they're not seeing a lot of typical adulthood. And, you know, this is like a criticism of Hollywood people actually, because they don't even have a lot of examples. Like, you know, our friends are also often freelancers. Yeah, And so they, again, it's not like we can point to someone and say, look at so-and-so's mom who works a nine to five or whatever. Like they just don't have a ton of examples of that. And as they get old, the older they get, the more I start to think, this is why people criticize Hollywood because we are raising kids that actually don't, they might know it in their head, but they've never like seen a lot of a normal sort of family rhythm. And I, I, for that very reason, take them to my hometown in Oklahoma where I have siblings who have a much more consistent life, we'll say. And yeah, like a routine and great, great careers. Both my siblings have great careers, but like working hours, you know, like that kind of thing. (laughs) And uh, so I try to like give them that exposure when I can, because I just, LA is so weird. (laughs) But I think every kid gets different types of examples growing up, right? And it creates different people. And your kids get to witness what it's like to say yes and no to things, to decide what's best for you, and especially you prioritizing your mental health. And I'm sure that they witness that and see that you're doing that is such a strong example. So maybe you don't have a nine to five, but they are learning so much through what you're doing as a creative and how you say yes and no and prioritize things which they wouldn't get from a teacher because I don't have to decide as much. Well, actually, I mean, that is true. And thank you for saying that. And and part of the reason, which I didn't even mention this because this is like sort of deep in the weeds of our family life, but part of the reason that I also decided to step away from the podcast was my particular work rhythm of the podcast had me working evenings multiple Mm -hmm. times a week because that's when I could work. So I really prefer to 
pick my kids up from the bus and drive them to activities and like do all of that thing. So I I would work in the morning. I would write in the mornings, of course, while they were at school. But then like from, let's say, three to seven, I was on mom duty, which I love and I choose, you know. So I'm doing like mom life from three to seven, which is great. And then we would have dinner. And then I that's not enough hours for me to work. So then I very often, multiple times a week, was then going upstairs and working from seven to 10 or whatever Mm -hmm. in the evenings. I wasn't having evenings with our family because that's when I had to to do my work because I'd chosen our family time to be in these other hours of the day. And that's part of freelancing. That's part of working from home. Like I understand that. And I just was like, this actually isn't how I want to do this. And just working from their their school hours was like literally not enough hours in the day for me. So I had to be like, I would much rather spend these evenings. Like the kids and Jeff were watching Cobra Kai together. They were watching, you know, they were doing these things after dinner, these family things that yeah. I was constantly missing out on. Now, again, it's because I was choosing to do the driving and do all this other stuff. But I was like, I just, this isn't how I want this to look anymore. It's not. Yeah. And so I – they did witness that. Like I say that to your point of like they were seeing me working in the evenings a lot. And I was like – so they saw that. So they know that that's like part of the deal of a freelance or a creative or work-from-home person. And they didn't love it and I didn't love it. And yeah. so, you know, maybe they would have preferred a nine-to-five mom or whatever. And so it it all – I do think that kids get their – everybody's getting some type of an example, right? Yeah. But I I said to them, I really want to like be present in the evenings and that's going to – I'm going to have to change some things in 2022. And so that's where we are. And how wonderful that must feel for them. I mean, they're not – maybe. Maybe when they look back, it'll be wonderful. I think right now they're like, I mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, that's what I meant <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> when they're on a podcast in 20 years talking about their mother – <laughs> They'll say something nice, I'm sure. Yes. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Well, we're going to do two closing questions, and then and you get to choose which one goes first, but I'll lay okay. both of them out. One is, what do you want to add to your balancing? And the other one is, what do you want to declutter from your balancing? So these can be projects, experiences realizations, habits, beliefs, work, anything. Okay. So one I just sort of touched on, but it actually means a lot to me that I want to add to my balancing is cooking dinner. Oh, that's a good one. And it seemed dumb because we were all eating. Like it was fine. (laughs) It's different. It was different. I was not cooking much. It was a lot of heating up frozen foods, ordering takeout. Because I was working in the evening, I just did not prioritize dinner. It was a lot of spaghetti, like it's easy stuff. And when I would make food, everyone was like, this is amazing. Hmm. Not that I made it, but they were like, this is actually like, tastes so much better. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I was like, I have really not cooked for my family in years. I mean, I have, but just so sporadically. And for a long time, I've always been conscious of it. And for a long time, I was like, yeah, that's the thing that I take off my plate is dinner. I just, that's not what I'm prioritizing. And I was like very upfront about it. I owned it. I talked about it on my own podcast. Like of the things I'm not doing, it's cooking dinner. We're just not doing it. I can't, I, you know, we all have to make choices. And we lived like that for a long time. Take out frozen lasagna, like whatever. And then I just, in the last six months, as sort of part of my mental health thing and whatever, I started to be like, I don't like this anymore. Mm. Like I need the care of cooking. I I need the the nurturing of cooking for myself and for them. Uh, I, I want the health of it. I want, like, I just was like, I I'm changing up my plate. I was very happy to own that I didn't do dinner for many years, and now I'm going to start doing dinner. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's a thing I was like adding in, but I just want to say that other part because I don't want anyone to feel any shame if they're in a season of takeout because I was in a season of takeout for years and mm-hmm. I chose it. Yeah. And now I'm choosing differently. I'm adding that in. And so 
I'm actually so happy about that. The family yeah. is happy about that. So that's a thing that I'm adding. A thing that I am decluttering or yeah. removing, I guess, from my balance. Mm-hmm. This is like a trickier to say out loud. Like I'm not really even sure how to articulate this. And this has been sort of slowly happening and then kind of happening all at once. Since I turned 40, and I'm 42 now, like like a curtain has lifted, suddenly care so much less about what other people think. And people, you know, you've every person in their 40s has literally said this for the, since the beginning of time. Like, and I remember when I was like in my early 30s and hearing mom friends or mom bloggers or, or whoever, like a, a decade ahead of me saying that they had reached this point where they don't care about what people think. And I was like, it's not that I didn't believe them or anything. I believed them, but I also just, I just couldn't imagine that for myself. I do care what people think. And I don't like the attitude sometimes around like, kind of this like, I don't care about you. Kind of like, I just don't sometimes like the language around not caring what people think or whatever. And honestly, I do not know if this is hormonal or what it is. <laughs> like, I don't know why this is kind of a universal experience, but truly I was like, I, it's almost like you wake up one day and you're like, I actually literally care less about what people think. And I don't know why it is developmental. It's almost like becoming a teenager again, where you're like, I have no control over this hormonal change in my brain, but something has like actually changed in my brain where I do not care what people think. Now I do care what, you know, like I put a lot of care into like what the listeners think of my show or like, it's not that I don't care what anybody thinks. I do, but I care less about like judgment. I care less about people in my life and we all have real life people in our life who, you know, are passive aggressive or like that you kind of constantly, you've spent a lot of time trying to please them for whatever reason. They're a family member or they're a boss or they're whoever that you've really tried to please. And then suddenly I'm like, I don't, I actually don't care about this. Yeah. And that has been so freeing to go to a social event or a family event or whatever and not kind of be in tangles about this judgy person or whatever and just be like, yeah, this actually doesn't matter to me even a little bit. And as I've become more conscious of it, like it's always been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> as I've like become more and more aware of it, I've actually been able to truly declutter it, like the word that you use. I've actually been able to like, oh yeah, like I'm going to just remove that whole tangle out. Yeah. I'm going to consciously do it instead of some of these things have been happening, like I said, sort of sort of slowly. And now I'm like consciously going to be like, yeah, I don't care about this. And so I can move in a way of not caring about it. Yeah. Instead of like being like, oh, I don't care about this anymore. Wait, should I care? Wait, hold on. <laughs> you know, like you do this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> doing this whole thing anymore. I don't care. It's over for me. I'm removing it. And that has been like, it's been so different than I thought it would be. Like, it's just like motherhood where people can explain it to you a hundred ways and you can sort of understand it intellectually, but until you're holding the kid. Until you're in it. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, this is <laughs> oh, what they meant. Yeah. Except the thing you're describing sounds good. And those first few moments of being in motherhood <laughs> do not necessarily feel like a weight is lifted. True. True. This is a good change. It does sort of make me feel I will I will say the bad side of this is like it does make me feel older, like in not necessarily a good way, but like in a like, oh yeah, I'm getting old. Not like a get off my lawn kind of old though. Not a, not quite get off my lawn, but more like every representation of like menopausal women, for example. Mm. And I'm not menopausal yet, but like as I'm like walking down that road, like every stereotypical representation of it in movies or whatever, it's it can be funny, it can spell freedom, but it also like a sort of like, oh, this is a person getting older. I mean, you know what I mean? There's like a negative connotation a little bit underneath. And I feel that part as well. Like I also feel like, yeah, I don't care about this anymore. And then being feeling freedom and also feeling like, oh, I'm old. So I, I'm holding all of it at once. It is freedom yeah. and it's also like, oh, yeah. this is aging, I guess. But it's a process. So you are enjoying the lightness of this new feeling 
Yeah. And it's a loss of youth. I mean, I think there's a loss of youth. Yeah. To care a lot about what other people think takes a lot of energy. And the reason yeah. <laughs> that we're able to do that when we're young is because we have a lot of energy and we want things to be perfect and we want to be liked and we want all of those things. And there's a youthfulness to that that's actually not all bad. Part of the reason that we start, that we stop caring about what other people think is because we're tired. And we don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm too tired for that. And that's what I mean about, that's like the wrinkles analogy. If you're just like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I can't even care about this thing I used to care about. Is that a positive or is that a negative? Both, I guess. I guess. Well, you, you know what? You're going to have more time for cooking dinner. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that is the goal. So, Laura, it sounds like you are still balancing. Yes. But you are doing wonderful things along the way. I look forward to the book you are currently writing. Do we have a Thank release? You. When is that coming out? Well, it's due later this summer, and then it will come out in the next year. So it will come out in 2023. Ooh, I'm so excited. Do we, can you, is there a topic? Was it friendship? The topic is friendship. Yes. And it will be a companion of sorts to share your stuff. I'll go first. I mean, it's almost like if the ta the tagline of share your stuff, I'll go first is 10 questions to take your friendships to the next level. And then it's sort of like the next book is sort of like, and then what? I hope that's the title. And then what? And then what? <laughs> yeah. It's sort of what happens after you've taken your friendships to the next level. Like then, then what? Yeah. Like that. No, I love it. I'm so excited. I will continue following you. I'll put your social media handles in the show notes along with your website so listeners can come follow you and keep up with all the things you're doing, all the projects, thank all the you. chapters of your life, literally and figuratively. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Awesome. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. A big thank you to Laura for sharing her story. I can't wait for her next book and any possible future podcasts. Fingers crossed. For links to follow Laura and related episodes, check out the show notes on balancingstories.com. As always, while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content, free of course. And if you like what you hear and you want to support me, you can leave a tip through Buy Me a Coffee, link on the website. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Stories, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm -hmm.